Well, I saw the logo, and I thought, uh, I thought we were going to have uh, Houston Astros 1970s uh, jerseys. And uh, if, if you're not a baseball fan, you wouldn't understand that. But uh, hallelujah. Who's ready for some word today? Amen. Well, I am excited to share with you today and uh, kick off this year. This has been burning on the inside of me for several weeks, and, and I just couldn't, I couldn't wait to, to share it with you today. Well, I did wait. I had to wait, but it uh, uh, wasn't by choice. But um, nonetheless, uh, just kidding on that. Uh, but uh, I am excited to share with you today uh, you know, one of the things that the Lord began to drop into my heart, uh, you know, a lot of people have said that um, God is trying to get something from me. He just wants me to, he, he's trying to get my money, he's trying to get my time, he's trying to get, you know, my energy, he's just wanting me, and, and you know, I'm just tired of God always wanting something from me. Well, first of all, God doesn't need anything from you. Uh, he says that if I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you. Uh, he said, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Uh, and uh, so he doesn't need something from you. And someone else said, well, no, he's trying to get something to you. And uh, while there's an element of truth in that, uh, the, the more correct way that we ought to say that, and this is what the Lord dropped in my heart several weeks ago. He said, no, uh, I'm not trying to get something to you. I'm trying to get you to something. And um, what he's trying to get us to is our purpose. And uh, God has a purpose and a plan for every one of us and, and uh, really for the human race. And uh, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, when they um, ate of the fruit that was forbidden, uh, the day that they ate that, there was a, there was a separation that came between them and what God had intended for them. And so I want to know, you know, okay, what did God intend for us from the very beginning? And uh, I'm going to share some things with you today. And I, I encourage you, uh, if you have your Bibles, hold them up. Amen. Praise God. That's looking better and better, you know, uh, people bringing their Bibles to church. That's what you ought to do, you know. You ought to bring your Bible to church so you can read it, so you can look up the Scriptures, so you can check it out and see if I'm telling you the truth. Praise God. If I'm not telling you what's in here, I'm not telling you the truth. Praise God. And so uh, you need to check it out. Then you need to go back. See, the, the important thing is that when we go back, we, we get some notes, we take some notes, and we, we go home and we study. Don't, don't let when I say... Uh, you're dismissed at the end of the service. Don't let that be the last time you think about this. Uh, you know, take it home with you, study it, meditate on it. Uh, see, the, the Lord told Joshua, he said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Praise God. And so we are to meditate in God's word and meditate on the on the truth that we receive, and uh, the Lord said this to me a long time ago. He said, meditation is incubation. And what does that mean? Well, 
It's where it's, the, the Word of God is planted on the inside of you like a seed, and it begins to incubate, and it begins to grow bigger and bigger and bigger on the inside of you. And when it is fully uh, incubated, you know, when that time comes, then there is going to be a birth that takes place. Praise God. You know, we have some, uh, we got some pretty new babies around this church here. And so, uh, you know, we have seen um, mamas come in here recently that were incubating. And uh, then when it was fully incubated, they gave birth. Praise God. It's the same way with the Word of God. When, they are, when the Word of God is fully incubated on the inside of you, then there is a birth that comes out of the, as a result of that. Praise God. And so uh, that's why we need to take this Word and we need to study it and we need to meditate on it because meditation is incubation. When you're meditating, that's when that process is taking place on the inside of you that the Word of God is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And He will show you things I didn't e- that I didn't even say, but He will show you things that, that He wants to speak to you about. I love something that uh, uh, the late Jar- uh, Charles Capps said years ago. He said uh, one night when he was getting ready to preach, he said, the one thing that is more important to you than what I say to you tonight is what Holy Spirit says to you about what I say tonight. And see, I want you to get that. What is more important than what I say to you today is what Holy Spirit says to you about what I say to you today. Praise God. He will show you how to give personal application to it. Praise God, and how to walk it out. Sometimes we just, we hear the word, and then we don't think about it anymore, and, uh, and then we go away, and it doesn't produce anything in our lives, because we're not taking care of and tending the seed that's been sown on the inside of us. That's what the word is intended to do. Praise God. Go with me to Genesis, the second chapter. We're going all the way back to the beginning, since we're starting in, in Genesis, uh, we'll end in Revelation. Uh, just kidding. We're not, I, I'm not going to preach everything in between, but um, uh, we m- probably won't touch Revelation today. But uh, anyway, um, Genesis, the second chapter, look at verse number eight. It says this, the Lord God planted a, a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord, made, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you read and study, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing because that it would get rather lengthy, um, but... Um, one thing I want you to notice is that uh, there were there, there was a whole forest of trees, but he pointed out two specific trees, and then we zero in on the one tree that they were forbidden to eat from. But I want to talk today about the tree of life, the the one that they should have eaten from and didn't eat from. 
Praise God. And so, uh, you know, we're going to also mention the one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but uh, we're also going to talk about this tree of life that was there. And, and uh, uh, let's go ahead and read chapter 3, verse number 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, what I want you to note here, and let me just give you an essence of what took place, and, and I'll refer to some of the verses that I didn't read today. Um, you can go back and read those on your own, those first three chapters, really, of, of Genesis. Um, God had said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the, the creeping things, everything that creeps on the earth, over all the earth. And so God created man for that purpose. Uh, so let, let's, let's get this together here. So what was the purpose for God's creation of man? To have what? Dominion. dominion. To have dominion. To take, you know, see, God didn't just say, let's, you know, he, he didn't just create the heavens and the earth and then say, you know, it almost seems like that man was a second thought, uh, that God created the heavens and the earth, and then he said, okay, now what are we going to do with this? But in reality, I'll tell you, man was not a second thought. Man was the first thought. He created man last, but he created the domain for man first, but it was created for man. All of this earth, everything in this earth, the fullness thereof, it was created for man. And, you know, God didn't just say, okay, how are we going to take care of this? Okay, let's, let's, let's make man and let him take care of it. Uh, you know, but that's, that's not how God works. God has a plan from the very beginning before the foundation. The, the Bible calls Jesus the lamb which was crucified before the foundation of the world. So if Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world, why was Jesus crucified? For us, right? Well, he wasn't crucified for, for God. He was crucified for us. And if he was crucified for us, we must have been on the mind of God from, the very, from, from even before the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and he created it for man. Excuse, excuse, <coughs> excuse me. Okay, we're going to be good. We're going we're gonna to be all right here. Um, but he created man from the beginning, and he created a domain for man before he created man. Because he's, if you create man, then where are we going to put him? If we create man, what is he going to do? You see, and here's what was in the mind of God. You, you see this as you begin to understand the overview of Scripture. What was in the mind of God was he wanted someone to love. Now, 
Get this, if you take any form of energy and you bottle that energy up, thank you, sir, you bottle that energy up so that there is no release for that energy, you're going to have an explosion, right? Uh, If you take... What, what causes a bomb to explode? There is energy that is contained and, and confined, but then something ignites that, that energy or sets it into motion, and it explodes. That's why a gun shoots a, a bullet, is because within the cartridge, there is a, a gunpowder that is sparked, and when it burns... The heat that is generated by that expands, and when it expands, it uh, forces the the bullet, the projectile, out of the end of the gun barrel. Um, if you if you put a, um, a sealed up bottle of water on your kitchen range, and you uh, turn the oven or turn the, the burner on and, and begin to heat that up. If it's in a sealed bottle, it will explode and there will be glass everywhere. And, uh, you know, I remember years ago uh, as a kid that uh, we knew someone one time that, um, you know, anybody know what a pressure cooker is? Who knows what a pressure cooker is? Okay, pressure cooker. There are a lot of, uh, uh, of people that are afraid of pressure cookers. My mom always used to cook uh, and can foods in a pressure cooker, but the reason people were afraid of it was because it would build up steam on the inside of it, and if you didn't have a release for that steam to to come out, it would explode. And um, in fact, you knew if you had used a pressure cooker that if if it's really hot and you pop the lid off, it's going to come exploding into your face because there, there is an energy that is building up on the inside of that, and it explodes out. In fact, we knew a lady that was using a pressure cooker to cook beans, and she popped the lid off of that thing while it was still hot, and she got burned from it and uh, had beans all over her kitchen, and, uh, you know, just a, it was a miracle of God that she was not burned severely. Uh, but any energy that is built up and contained without a release will cause an explosion. Love is the greatest energy that there is. There is no greater energy than love. And if love is bottled up without a release, it causes an explosion. So I've told people that I believe in the Big Bang Theory because the Bible says God is love, and he had no release for his love. He had to, uh, he, he needed someone to love because he, he needed a release for the, for the love that he, that he is. And so God, this this. Energy of love is building up in his heart, and so he, there, there is a, 
an explosion or a big bang, and out of that big bang came creation. Now, I'm not talking about like, like scientists talk about that just, you know, some kind of cosmic gases got together. No, I'm talking about the love of God. The love that's in the heart of God exploded, and now today we have all of creation that we see because of the explosion of love out of the heart of God. And he needed someone to be the object of that love. Well, there, you know, if, if, if I were to ask you, who, is, who are the people in your life that you love the most? You know, you, you're probably thinking of your family. You're probably thinking of your spouse, your children. Uh, well, God wanted children as an object of his, uh, of his love. And so because of that, he created the heavens and the earth, but he created it for, you know, I, I like to think about it like this. I let my imagination just run crazy sometimes, but... Uh, but, but I think that if I share this, I think you'll get what I'm, where I'm coming from and understand what I'm talking about. That, that um, you know, God uh, created man in his image and in his likeness to be the object of his love. So here's what he said. It's like uh, the Trinity had a board meeting. And the Trinity decided, okay, let's make man in our image, and then uh, let's, let, let's let him be like us in our image and in our likeness. And uh, so Holy Spirit speaks up, and he says, so if he is, if this man that you're talking about is like us, then he has to have a, a domain that he has dominion over. He has to have a domain to rule over. If he doesn't, he's not like us. And so uh, God said, okay, well, let's, let's create the heavens and the earth. You know, what, what is it going to take uh, in order for, uh, to, to sustain this man? What is it going to take? Uh, well, he's got to have, um, he has to have an atmosphere. So they created the atmosphere. He has to have, uh, he has to have food. So he created the, you know, the, the trees and the plant life and the, 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 for, for food. Uh, well, if he's going to be like us, uh, you know, he has to have, uh, we already said he has to have a domain, but how is he going to rule? How is he going to have dominion? Well, how does God have dominion? We have dominion by speaking words out of our mouth so God says, okay, well, if they're going to be like us, then they're going to have to rule by the same way that we rule, by speaking. Praise God. And so it's interesting that the only one of God's creation to be given the power of intelligent language, get this, intelligent language, I'm not talking about a parakeet that can mimic something that it hears, uh, but I'm talking about the intelligent language, the ability to form thoughts and sentences and put them together and speak its mind. You know, a, a parakeet can't do that. It can mimic sounds, but it can't, 
articulate what's on its mind. It can only say a few things that it has learned to mimic. But God didn't want man to be like a parakeet. He wanted man to be like him. Praise God. He wanted man to have the power of intelligent language so that man could form thoughts and rule and, and have dominion using that language, those words, praise God. And this is why it's important that we don't just, stay, just say anything and everything that comes to our mind. Some, some people, well, you know, I, I just speak my mind. I, you won't ever wonder what I'm thinking. Sometimes I'd like to wonder what you're thinking, uh, you know. But, um, you know, we need to use our language for what God created it for. Praise God. What God gave us language for. He wanted man to rule in the same way that he rules. So he creates these, these trees in the garden and everything God created, if you read through the story of creation, everything God created, he said, it is good. It is good. He saw it, and it was good. Uh, he saw man that he created is very good. Praise God. And so um, in the middle of this garden, he puts a very important thing. Has anybody ever been asked, why did God create that tree? That, that dumb tree in the middle of the garden that was the cause of all the problem. Why, why did God put that tree there? You know, and because they don't understand why he put it there, it reflects badly on the image of God. It reflects badly on how people view God. Uh, but if you understand why he put it there, then, then you'll begin to see the love of God, even in the forbidden tree. Because in order for, going back to the board meeting again, in order for him to rule, he's got to have the power to choose. And in order to choose, he has to have a choice. You know, you really don't have the power to choose if you don't have any choices, right? Right? You know, there, there's no power to choose unless you have choices to make. You know, when, when uh, uh, there, there are those that say, well, Christians shouldn't try to cram their religion down my throat. Well, wait a minute. Is it cramming something down your throat to just tell you what your choices are? It's actually liberating. It's actually freeing to know you have a choice. Nobody's trying to force you to choose one way or the other. Now, God told us which was the right choice, but he allowed man to make his choice. If he had interfered, you know, I, I've said this many times, that if God was, was going to control and micromanage man's choices and decisions, um, then when Eve was about to eat from the fruit of that forbidden tree, a tummy ache would have been a real nice thing for God to put on her. But he didn't do it. And she ate of the forbidden fruit. But what did she, she, she noticed, it says that the tree was pleasant to the eyes, 
pleasant to, to, to the sight, praise God. It was a tree that was uh, good for food. So that, that apple or whatever it was, that fruit of that tree was not poisonous in that it would, that it would kill a person, you, you know, uh, physically because they ate of it. It was good for food. And then it says, it was a tree that was desirable to make one wise. Now, I want to talk about wisdom today and about this aspect that it was desirable to make one wise. Now, remember, there were two trees. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was desirable to make one wise, but then there was the tree of life that was also in the midst of the garden. Now, after Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, then God did something. He put a, a cherubim at the, at the entry to the garden with a flaming sword to prevent man from going back and eating from the tree of life. Have you ever wondered why? Why, why did he prevent man from going and eating of the tree of life. He blocked the way, blocked the path to the tree of life. Now, I'm going to submit something to you today, and we're going to have to build up to, um, you know, I can't give you one scripture or two scriptures that prove this, but it's going to take a, a period of time to really build uh, our understanding of what happened there. But I will say this, that the tree of, the, of life was also desirable to make one wise. But there's two kinds of wisdom that is in the world. Two kinds of wisdom. One came from the tree, from eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Another kind of wisdom would have come from the tree of life. Now, I cannot prove this from Scripture, and if I ever say something like this, I'll always tell you this is my thought. This is my opinion on this. This is my, uh, you know, this, this is something, kind of the way I see it, um, that um, the tree of life actually, now whether it was the, the actual physical tree or not, I don't know, and I don't think it's important that we know. But, but I want you to think about this, that the tree of life actually became a tree that Jesus was nailed to, actually became the cross. And uh, I said, don't, don't go preach that and say, my pastor said this is the way it is, because your pastor said this is the way I think it probably, will, probably was, okay? Um, but why would God block access to the tree of life, but he didn't do so until after they had eaten from the forbidden tree. And, uh, you know, uh, you know the, it, it would have been nice if he had blocked the way to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That would have been nice. Uh, but that's not the way it was. Um, you know, he, he blocked access after they ate of the forbidden fruit. He blocked access to the tree of life. Now, I've heard this explanation all of my life growing up. I, I heard this explanation 
that the reason he blocked the access to the tree of life was, um, I was going to say something about it, but it was not fitting at the moment. But um, anyway, it would, would have blocked access to the tree of life. Um, you know, now I'm, now I'm way out here somewhere. Let me pull my thoughts back in. Uh, okay. That God did not want man to live forever in a fallen condition. I believe that's true. I believe there's some truth about that. But I believe there's a greater reason, and that is because there was another kind of wisdom that went along that would have come from the tree of life, from the fruit of the tree of life. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear to us that there are two kinds of wisdom. He says, you know, we preach the wisdom of God among you. He says, not the wisdom of this present age, not the, not the wisdom which man teaches, but the wisdom which Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. In fact, let's go and let's, let's look at what he said here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual, okay? So there, is, there are two kinds of wisdom. There is a natural wisdom, and that's the wisdom that came, that, that came as a result of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then there is another wisdom on the other side of that that is the wisdom of God, now, why did God, I, I believe that the reason he blocked the, the access to that tree was because he did not want man tapping into that wisdom. You say, well, why would he not want man to tap into that wisdom? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, let's uh, take a look at this. Uh, Verse number seven, I jumped way ahead of myself here, but that's all right. I need to bring this in. First um, Corinthians 2, verse number one, says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then in verse number three, he says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. All right? Now, right there, he just reveals to us why he blocked access to the tree of life. He says, it's not the, he says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. 
Because the wisdom of God had to be kept a mystery. You say, why? He says, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. So how can it be for our glory if we can't get it, if we can't understand it? And then he goes on, he says in verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, do you see what I, what I saw right there when I read that? Do you see that? That the wisdom that God needed to keep a mystery was the wisdom of how God was going to redeem man. If man had had access to that wisdom, then the devil would have also had access to that wisdom because we would have told him. And if man also had access to that wisdom, they would have never crucified Jesus. And if they had not crucified Jesus, then you and I would still be in our sins. So God had to prevent access to the tree of life by which was the wisdom of God. That's why he didn't do it until after the fall, until after Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit. Now he had to block access to that wisdom because now he is faced with the task of redeeming man and bringing man restored back to himself. Praise God. So he had to block access to that wisdom so that man uh, would not blow the plan of redemption. Praise God. So he had to keep it a mystery, but Scripture tells us that now that Jesus has been crucified, says now the wisdom of God is made known by the church. Praise God. Do you realize now it's too late for the devil to do anything about it? It's too late for the devil to back out on, on uh, what he, he already crucified Jesus. He's already crucified. So now it doesn't matter that, what the devil knows. You know, I've heard people say this. So, well, speaking in tongues, the devil can't understand speaking with tongues. That's not right. That's not true. The devil can understand speaking with tongues. He can't understand what you mean. But, but he, it, the Bible tells us that if we speak with an unknown tongue, we're speaking either by the tongues of men or of angels. He's a fallen angel, so he certainly understands angelic language. And he certainly understands the wisdom or, or the language of men because otherwise he couldn't talk to you. So he understands when, when we speak and when you speak tongues, the devil can understand you. But you know what? He can't do anything about it. So why, why would I care if the devil understands? Why, why would it even matter if the devil understands? I can say anything I want to say, and the devil cannot undo what he already did. I can reveal the plan of redemption from start to finish, and there is nothing 
the devil can do about it. Praise God. Praise God. So I don't have to get all worked up and say, well, I've got to keep this. Oh, don't. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, don't say that too loud. The devil might hear you. I've heard people say that, you know. Well, don't, don't, don't say that too loud. You know, well, I'm, I'm declaring my faith that by his stripes I am healed. Don't say that too loud. The devil will hear you. Let him hear. Let him hear. I don't care if he hears. You know, he, he failed. He already failed. And so there is not a thing he can do about it. Healing is mine because of what Jesus already did at the cross. He already nailed Jesus to the cross. So healing belongs to me, and there is nothing he can do about it. So let's go ahead and tell him. Let's just go ahead and make it known. Praise God. But, he, but God did not want man to have access to that wisdom that comes through the tree of life. The wisdom comes. This is why, this is why Paul said this. He said, I've determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. See, because Jesus was crucified, that finished the whole deal. Jesus was already nailed to the cross. He was already crucified. Paul says, all I want to know is Jesus and him crucified because everything was taken care of when Jesus was crucified. Hallelujah. And you say, well, I thought it had to be the resurrection. Well, the resurrection was shortly to follow. But, uh, um, you know, it, it was a settled thing that once he was nailed to the cross, God was going to raise him from the dead. You know, the, the, God, God could not have failed to raise him from the dead. So all God was concerned about was getting him on the cross. Let's keep this wisdom of God a mystery until he's nailed to the cross. Then we got this thing. Praise God. Praise God. So he blocked access to the tree of life. But today, let me tell you something. There, you have access today to the tree of life. Praise God. Praise God. Now, how many of you know about this guy named Solomon? King David's son that became king. And the Lord appeared to him and asked him what he could give him, and he said, uh, you know, give me wisdom to rule the people, and, and, and that, that pleased the Lord that he said that. And so uh, Solomon is known as the, the wisest man that ever lived, um, you know. Um, but he did not have the wisdom of God. He had human wisdom. This is why we see this guy Solomon. In fact, uh, let, me, let me go there. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number 9. It says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs, the preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright words of truth. But notice what he did not say. You know, the, the, um, Peter, talking about the Word of God, says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
Peter didn't say that. Paul said that to Timothy. He said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so, um, but, but Solomon accessed a wisdom that came through observation of what was around him. And I want you to, I want you to see, we're going to read just a little bit here out of Ecclesiastes. And, and I want you to see the wisdom that Solomon operated in and what was the result of it. He says, you know, he sought to find acceptable words and what, what was written, words of truth, up, uh, was upright and words of truth. And then in verse number 12, or verse uh, 11, rather, he says, the words of the wise are like goads and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Now, once you get, uh, get the frame of mind that Solomon was in, Solomon had everything, everything there was to have, he had it. He saw everything there was to see. He, he observed it all. And, and he began to, to take these things and look at them. And as Solomon says, all is vanity. Now, that sounds like a preacher that's got a bad frame of mind. What, what would you think of me if I stood in the pulpit? What if, I, what if I had walked up here this morning and I said, don't open your Bible. It's all vanity. Yeah, just vanity. There's, there, there's no point in all of it. And uh, you would all got up and left. Because God's Word is not vanity. Life is not vanity. But yet Solomon said it was. So let, let's go on and read a little bit more of what Solomon said. Words of the wise are like goads. That's a, uh, one translation of that is a cattle prod. You know, you sharp stick that they would poke the cattle with to keep them moving. When they would want to stop, they would poke them with this cattle prod and, and, and get them moving. He says, the words of the wise are like cattle prods. Um, he says, like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. The further, my son, and further, my son, be admonished by these of making many books. There is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Much study is wearisome to the flesh. That's what he said. So Paul contradicted what Solomon said. Paul told Timothy, he said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a worker that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So he, Solomon says, studying, it's, it's all useless. It's all vain. I did it. That's what he said. I did it. I studied. I studied everything. Around me, I studied the, all, all of life and what was going on. He said, and it's wearisome. It's just a whole lot of work for nothing, is what he was saying. I want, you to, I want you to hear in what I'm saying 
the, the attitude and the mentality that Solomon had. He says, um, further, my son, uh, be admonished. That making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Verse 13, let us uh, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, notice what he said. The whole purpose of man from Solomon's observation is to fear the Lord and to keep his commandments. So here's, here's what Solomon is saying. Fear God and try to keep him happy. <laughs> do, you, do you hear the, you know, uh, it's, like, it's like a kid says, you better not make mama mad. You better keep mama happy. Uh, and, and Solomon had this very same attitude towards God. Got to keep God happy. And he said, this is man's all. That's, that's your whole purpose right there. Fear God and keep him happy. And, and you fulfilled the whole plan of God. But that's not what God said. God said, let them have dominion over the earth. Let them have dominion over all creation. Let them rule over all creation. He says, I got this, Solomon said, I got this wisdom from observing everything that was going on around me. In one place, Solomon even said that men are no different than animals. So if you want to quote Solomon and say, well, Solomon said that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. If you want to quote that and say that, that's your whole duty, that's, that's the whole purpose for your existence, fear God, keep him happy, keep his commandments, um, then you also should quote the rest of what Solomon said. Just a few verses earlier, he says, men are just like animals. He said, they both die, they both go to the same, you know, one goes up and one goes down. That's the only difference. And so men are just like animals. You know, what would you do if I came in here and I stood on this platform and said, you're just like an animal? You'd get up and leave. And you should. But this is what Solomon, the preacher, said. Men are just like animals. But Solomon, as wise as he was, did not have access to the wisdom of God. He did not have access to the tree of life. All of Solomon's wisdom was from the observation of what was going on around him and what he could observe by natural five physical senses. But the Apostle Paul says... I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But they are revealed to him by his spirit. Praise God. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. The things of God are revealed by the spirit, but Solomon did not have the spirit of God. He had a natural 
wisdom of natural things, but he did not have access to the wisdom of God because the way was blocked to the tree of life. But if Solomon had had that wisdom, he would have written it in Ecclesiastes and it might have been a, a, a different kind of book altogether. Because the whole duty of man is not just to keep the commandments and keep God happy. That's not the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man, this is what God is trying to get us to and not get something from us or not get something to us, but he wants to get us to this thing that he created us for initially, which is to have dominion over all the earth. He wants you to rule this place, but we've got to learn how to do it. We've got to learn how to rule this place. Study the ministry of Jesus, and you will notice something, that Jesus was not afraid to touch a leper. Jesus was not afraid when the crowd gathered and tried to throw him down over a cliff. He just walked through their midst. Jesus was not ruled by fear. Jesus walked through the midst of them. Jesus was sleeping in the boat while his disciples were freaking out. Because he didn't walk like an ordinary man. Jesus was the first person that had the ability to walk in this wisdom after Adam. Adam could have and Adam didn't. But Jesus came along. He says, now I'm going to show you guys how to do it. I'm going to show you. I'm going to speak a word, rise, take up your bed and walk. Leper, go show yourself to the priest. And while he went, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus, his disciples out in the middle of the sea, and he goes walking to them on the water because he was ruling over the earth. Praise God. Jesus wasn't saying, well, you know, when Peter came and said, well, they came to collect the temple tax. And uh, Peter came, he said, do we pay the temple tax? Jesus said, well, we really don't know the temple tax. But lest we offend them, let's go down the, and catch a fish and uh, take a coin out of its mouth. Go pay your taxes and my taxes. And uh, see, Jesus was ruling there. The fish responded to what Jesus was saying. The fish, when Jesus said that, the fish went and found a coin and brought it to Peter. Do you see that? The fish responded to Jesus' words because Jesus had dominion over the fish of the sea. You have dominion over the fish of the sea. Praise God. The wind and the waves were subject to Jesus. Jesus said, peace be still, and the wind and the waves obeyed him. The disciples were afraid, and who is this guy that even the wind and the sea obeys him? But that's what God created you for. Praise God. Now, by and large, we, we've seen little bits and pieces of that in our day. 
But by and large, we haven't seen that working. You know, when we learn how to put this to practice, a couple of years ago, I started teaching you out of Hebrews chapter 6. And he says, therefore, leaving the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance of dead works, of faith towards God, and, and so on. He says, let's, let's not lay that foundational stuff anymore. Let's go on to perfection. And then he says in Hebrews, uh, I believe it's the sixth chapter, he says in, I believe, verse 3, he says, and this we will do if God permits. So I started asking, why would God not permit? Well, that's the same question as why did he block the access to the tree of life? If God permits because we haven't gotten the foundation right yet. You can't start building the building if the foundation is not right. If we want to build a building, we got to get the foundation right. The inspectors have to come and check it out, and they're going to find out if you cheated on the foundation. If you shortcut it, the foundation, they're going to say, you're going to have to jackhammer all this out of here and redo this. You know, if your footers are not deep enough, if they're not wide enough, if they don't have the right kind of of, of rebar support in them, you're going to have to redo this, and they're not going to let it slide. Now why? Are they just trying to be difficult to get along? Well, you can't see that rebar anyway. You know, once, once you get this building built, you can't see that, that rebar. You can't even see the foundations under the house. But I'm telling you what, you'll see if it's not there. You'll see the results if it's not there. The building will fall. The building will crumble. And if we don't get the foundational stuff right, then we cannot go on to perfection. We can't operate and function in this wisdom of God that God has called and ordained that we should function in. Praise God. So we're going to learn here in, the, in this year, we're going to learn how to access, how to, uh, how to walk in to the wisdom of God and begin to function in the wisdom of God. Paul told us what, what the wisdom of God is. He said, I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. There is your foundation. If your foundation is built on anything other than Christ and Him crucified, your building will crumble and fall. If your building is built on your self-effort and your self, uh, you know, all the good works you can do, if your building is built on, uh, you know, all of, the, uh, all of the good things that you can do in your life, if you're, build, if you're building a building on that, it will crumble and it will fall. If it is not built on Christ and Him crucified, it will fall. Praise God. Paul said, I don't want anything else except Christ. I don't want to know anything else except Christ and Him crucified. Herein is the wisdom of God. Now, you've got access to a wisdom that Solomon didn't have access to. Solomon has all the accolades of his wisdom, 
But as you can see, when you've got all the wisdom of the world and all the human wisdom, all it does is, is causes you to be cynical. It just causes you, well, I saw that, yeah. It causes you, Solomon had become so jaded in his thinking that he thought that God had ulterior motives for all of his commandments. You know, and, and how many Christians do you, do you know that are jaded in their thinking that God has got some, some personal, selfish interest in everything he asks you to do, everything he tells you to do. He's got some kind of selfish interest in this. They think that sin is a list of things that God don't like. I mean, I don't know how to put it any simpler. They think that sin is just a list of things that God don't like. Well, God don't like it when you do that. God don't like it when you do that. You don't like it when you do, you know. And, and so we better not do the things God don't like because God will get you for that. And that's where most Christians are in their in their life. It's not an issue of what God doesn't like. Why does God hate sin? Why? Well, first of all, very, very simply put, God hates sin because sin hurts you. But ultimately, God created you to be like Him. And sin is being unlike Him. So you're... You can only rule in this life and rule in this earth as you are like Him. So if you are uh, functioning and operating in sin in your life, then it means that you're not, li- not being like Him. But when you begin to understand your purpose, that your purpose is to be a small-scale duplicate of God, He has a domain. He rules over all. But you have been given this earth as a domain. We want to rule over the the one thing that God didn't give us to rule over, and that's each other. We, We want to rule each other, but that's the only thing He didn't tell us we have dominion over. God has such great plans for you and I'm here to tell you that before Jesus comes back the church is going to figure this out praise God we'll figure this out this is why we're teaching this today this is because Jesus wants the harvest and us walking in dominion is a key to bringing in the harvest praise God How many think that if you operated like Jesus did, like Jesus walked in this earth, if you walked and functioned like that, how many think we'd be able to reach this world? How many think we could get this commission done? Praise God. If if we do it like Jesus did it. If, If we go and do the works that he did and greater works than these because he went to the Father. If we, if we go and we do what he said to do, praise God, 
the way he said to do it, I guarantee you we'll get this harvest done. And Jesus will come back. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.